Good day and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we put the world of motoring and transport under the microscope. And in this program, we have feedback on some of the posts we've done on social media. It's always good to get some other opinions. Responses to some of our pictures include the Fiat Bambino, the Kia EV6 GT, and the Austin Healey Sprite, the bug-eyed version. And there are two feature interviews. Darren tells us the background story of his family 1925 Austin, and Tony had a 1968 Holden Special, authentic to the times, down to a packet of Winfield on the dash. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or our social media, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube sites. Look for Cars Transport Culture. And we've just put up a video reflecting on the launch of the latest Hyundai Kona with its design that pushes the limits, but does it go over the top? This program was first broadcast on the 8th of July, 2023. As we forecast last week, soon after that program, we went along to the St. Ives Cars and Coffee Show at the St. Ives Showground, which always has a wonderful array of cars. Ironically, one of the first cars I noticed was very, very small. It was a lovely light blue Fiat 500 Bambino. We put some pictures up on social media, and this reminded our good friend Sharon of her experience with one of these vehicles. She wrote in and said, My husband bought me one of these Bambinos, red of course, for a birthday in my 40s. I loved it, but as I couldn't effectively double shuffle, no synchro, I nearly got wiped out by a bus and a truck by not being able to move quickly as they moved over into my lane. Scared the living daylights out of me, and I eventually sold it, as driving it in Sydney traffic was becoming, for me, she said, increasingly dangerous. I don't believe in keeping cars in the garage, I want to drive them. Now Simon responded to Sharon's post, when he said, I learned to drive in one. Once you got the knack of the double declutching, it was fun. But, he said, confirming Sharon's point, too scary with the current Bogan Ute Brigade on the road. Now, this prompted some discussion on one of the other cars, the car I actually took to the Cars and Coffee Day. We went along the brand new Kia EV6 GT, all-electric, huge power, and blisteringly fast acceleration. There's no trouble with this car in terms of having to select a gear. It only has the one ratio, as with all current electric cars, but it's an instantaneous power. Now, Linda wrote in and said, my Tesla M3 LR fast acceleration got me out of a potential disaster a few weeks ago when a large dual cab towing a huge caravan didn't check their blind spot before moving into the right lane to overtake at 110 kilometres an hour on the M1 north of Taree. He instantly swung back into his lane, but started the deadly wobbles. A few expletives were uttered, and I planted my foot, disappearing from his path into the right lane in a split second. This allowed him to accelerate into the right lane and recover from the wobbles. Had I not been able to get out of there so quickly, I fear we may all have been evenly distributed along five kilometres of highway in small pieces. The thrill, she said, is sometimes also a lifesaver. 
I sent back a comment and said that I find EVs have such instantaneous performance that even if you are not in the fastest model, it feels very secure when you accelerate to overtake, for example. You decide and the car immediately goes. Neil backed us up with a comment, I agree. I got the slower GT line, that's the Kia, and it still feels great when you plant the foot whilst in sport mode, and it can get you out of trouble. The Kia's exterior design certainly does push the envelope of modern car architecture. Dylan wrote in and said, saw one of these at my local Audi today, and first thing I noticed was the wheels, and my mind instantly went to how they'd look on an older car. But at the same time, I could probably see myself in one of these, despite the ugly rear end. Nick also said, not a huge fan of it looks, but it sounds like a blast to drive. And Brendan said, love the front, but that rear is horrible in my opinion. I truly find it to be ugly, and for that reason alone, I couldn't own one. One of its limitations is that because it is made as such a very fast car with large rims and low-profile tyres to grip the road and of a firm suspension, it certainly feels the bumps. Our very own artist in resident, Dean, said the ride of the Kia GT around the city is unpleasant, and I think for almost all situations, I would prefer the non-GT version. Although he added, on a closed road with no bumps, the ballistic acceleration is pretty exciting. And while I'm talking about our cultural attaches to this motoring program, our musicologist, Robert, who has a PhD, was critical of the ride, but then again, he's less likely to be impressed with the performance. I asked him if there was a composer that might represent the emotions this particular car evokes. He said such a composer might be Karl Hentz Schockhausen. He wrote very unappealing, noisy music. It's never been popular, and I don't recommend it. And that's our musicologist, Robert. Here's some of Mr. Schockhausen's music. But there's no better way to understand motoring from the past than to compare it with vehicles of the present. At this Sadive show day, I photographed a 1960s Austin Healey bug-eyed Sprite next to a new Toyota Yaris. That's Toyota's smallest car. The Sprite, by comparison, looked tiny. Comments from our posts on social media included Dennis, who said... There was a good reason MGTC drivers and their passengers had their elbows out the doors. He meant, of course, that there wasn't any more room inside. Brad said, my first car was a 59 Sprite. Rod noted they weren't big performers, but just great fun to own and drive. Caroline from Colorado thought that its size was such that she said it may fit into my Christmas stocking. John said, I owned one for one week, no room, crash gearbox, no top. What was I thinking? Laugh out loud. He said that was in about 1979. And finally, Gary says, reminds me of Noddy's car. Now, these come-as-you-are car shows are not just about the vehicles, they're about the people. And there are two great characters that are the subjects of our feature interviews this week. You're listening to Overdrive. 
One of the cars at the St Ives show was a beautifully prepared and presented pre-war Austin. Its owner, Darren, had a story to tell. Uh, so this is a 1925 uh, Austin 12 uh, Clifton Tourer. Tourer means that it's got a soft top? Soft top, um, yep. Yeah, so basically soft top um, curtain windows that can go in. Um, don't have them here with me today, but yeah, basically the, uh, the pretty much one of the original um, sort of designs that, uh, that Austin had. And your father restored it, I believe? Yes, so um, this was the third um, foray into car restorations. So um, <laughs> my dad grew up um, living beside a gentleman who, um, who had old cars. Um, and uh, when he was a boy, he'd ridden around in the passenger seat of a 1911 Empire, which is an American little two-seat roadster. And uh, my dad bought that in 1983 um, when the gentleman passed away and, uh, and basically held on to that right the way through. Um, he then bought a 1923 Austin 20 Tourer, um, which is sort of the, the big brother or big sister to this vehicle. Um, and, then, uh, and then this was his third. So. And I think the Empire has an interesting history. The uh, 1911 Empire. Um, Empire was a motor car company from Indianapolis in the US. Um, they had a, an Empire um, 1910 model and a 1911 model. Um, the 1910 model was a train-driven vehicle, um, <laughs> and they brought um, Stutz in to design a transaxle to change it from chain drive to a, a transaxle. As in Stutz the person. As in Stutz the person. So um, Stutz only worked with them for a few months, but the 1911 came out with a Stutz transaxle, and the transaxle actually has Stutz branded onto it. Mm. Um, but he then left the motor company in 1911 to build the Bearcat and race it at Indianapolis himself. Yes. Um, and 1911 was the last year model of that empire um, because three out of the four gentlemen that owned the car company uh, built the Indianapolis Raceway and the Raceway was much more profitable than the car <laughs> company was. So um, the 19, 1911 empire had 363 cars manufactured. Um, and there's only two that we know of that are here in Australia. The uh, competition in building cars at that time, well, it's bad now, you know, it's intense now. Yeah. But, geez, there was a lot of manufacturers then, wasn't there? So many. And, look, you know, whenever I come to events like these, people would sort of tell me, tell me about, you know, cars that they know of. And, you know, uh, I know someone who used to drive this. Was it, this, was it named this or was it named that? There's just so many different manufacturers from that era 100 years ago. It's near impossible to try and work out what car they're talking about because there's companies out there that just haven't been heard of for 80 years. Mm. So Here we are in this a 1925 Austin performance, what sort of engine and how much horsepower? So this is a 1.6 litre. Um, it's the first year that uh, four-wheel brakes came out with the Austins. Um, <laughs> prior to this, it was all two-wheel brake. Luxury. Um, so, yeah, certainly luxury. Um, 20 horsepower um, and... In, I'm not sure if it was 1926 or 1927, um, but they upgraded the motor to um, a 1.8 litre. 1.6 litre is, um, is not very big, really, for the time? Look, it's not, but you also got to keep in mind the roads back then uh, weren't designed for the fast speeds that we have today. Ah. Um, and I guess that's one of the challenges of driving a vehicle of this age on modern roads. It's, it's not so much how we as the owners drive them, it's how other people would drive around them, um, thinking that we can stop with modern braking or you know we, we just don't have those luxuries so there's a number of people that drive 
heavy utes and so on that aren't aware of that limitation as well, yeah. I might point out. Yeah, yeah. We, we brought an electric vehicle here to, today, the Kia EV6 GT, naught mm -hmm. to 103.6 seconds, possibly a little quicker than this one? Just a little, just a little. Um, I think even if I was going downhill, look, I... <laughs> I certainly wouldn't want to try and get this thing up to 100 kilometres an hour. Um, but look, the, the Austin 12 was a really popular vehicle. Um, yeah, before the 12 came out and before the Austin 7 came out, um, Austin went into receivership manufacturing the Austin 20. Um, and uh, it was only through, um, I guess, the, the pure luck of being able to um, review how he went about production um, throughout World War I, um, manufacturing um, aeroplane engines and yeah, artillery and all of those sorts of things uh, for the war effort. Um, and then bringing out the Austin 7 and the Austin 12, um, all of a sudden brought the car back out of that receivership and, and the financial challenges. So, um, you know, you look at the Austins, the early Austins, and you know, again, this is an old Austin, but you look at the early Austins, the veteran you know, class, you know, around that World War I stage, they were seen at in the time as being very much equivalent to Rolls-Royce. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of people um, don't realise that there was an Austin racing company as well. Like They, they actually raced the Austin 20. Um, very, very different body to, to what you would have in, in like a normal tour or something like that. It was very much a, a stripped down body. But, um, but yeah... Yeah, Austin <coughs> raced his vehicles. Um, they were very powerful engines for the time. And, um, yeah, look, they're certainly a, a pleasure to drive these days as well. The war, be it the First World War or with, say, uh, with Rolls even in the Second World War, mm -hmm. it was almost a benchmarking of efficiency of how you had to think about development because it wasn't just a little bit of luxury. It was... No. It had to do with bombs, or delivering bombs. The Austin 12 um, is probably most famously known um, as a, a London taxi cab. Um, they were just known for being so reliable. Yeah, you could basically just drive them and drive them and drive them. As long as you did the, the normal maintenance, they were extremely reliable vehicles. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the Austins that you find um, over in the UK today um, are old ex-taxi cabs that have done thousands and thousands of miles. Um, and are still extremely reliable. We're just getting a little bit of noise of a bug-eyed Sprite. Correct. About yes. to take off. Um, geez, they were small, weren't they? They were, yeah. See you later. Don't forget to put the bonnet down. I'll try not to. <laughs> Good camaraderie. <laughs> He's part of the club, is he? Um, not part of my club. I've just met him here today and had a chat. Both got, both got Austin's, so it's nice and easy to have, have, have a chat over them. You have some dials in front of you. Mm -hmm. This one here, it is a clock, is it? Is it? A, it is it, a clock, it, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Sorry, the two arms are in line. It looked yeah, like yeah. there was only one arm <laughs> to it. Uh, so, a oh, clock, this is, the, is this the upmarket? <laughs> Look, it's funny how fast cars developed um, in the early 20s. Um, you know, it comes standard with a clock. Um, oil pressure gauge, um, your um, amp meter as well, um, speedo, the whole lot. Um, you know, f considering, you know, what sort of technology we've got in cars these days, it really hasn't gone that much further apart from going from analog gauges to digital. Mm. I think the steps that have gone now, of course, is digital 
you know, lane keep assists and that oh, sort sure. of technology, but the fundamentals yeah. are here. I note your speedo goes up to 60, that'd be miles per hour. 60 miles, yeah. Optimistic. Um, look, I can get comfortably up to about 40 miles an hour in this, um, again being a 98-year-old vehicle. Um, I wouldn't want to go too much higher. It can, but again, you know, it's not about speed. It's about the the, the journey, really. So um, for me, it's as long as I can take it on a road where I can maintain speed with the traffic, and I'm not being a danger to myself, to my passengers, or to any other motorists because I'm going a lot slower than what the other traffic is. That's that's what what's most important. Is that a press button for the high beam on the floor? That's the starter motor. Well, it's like a modern car. You press the button. That's it. Only you that's do it, it with your foot. No keys. Yeah. Push button start. So um, it's funny. You know, I, I see kids that come to these events, and one of the things I always love asking them is, you know, how do you start it? And they've got no idea. They're looking for a key, and they're looking for, you know, where do you put the key in? I was like, well, there is no key. Now, you have some controls on your steering wheel. Mm -hmm. They're not buttons, they're levers. Correct. Describe to me what they are. So you've basically got um, adjustments on the steering wheel for um, both your gas and magneto. So you can adjust your, um, your spark um, to, you know, to advance, and, advance and retard. But as well as that, you can also adjust your idle speed as well. Um, so it's basically uh, an, an olden day uh, cruise control. So if you really wanted to, you could actually use that um, that lever to accelerate and decelerate the car um, as you're driving. Um, so for me, it's basically just a, a nice, easy setting just to, to tweak my idle speed. Except it may not hold the speed going up a hill. Uh, it depends on how big the hill is. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have a handbrake in the old style of handbrake, but you've, this gear lever's got two knobs on it. Can, it does. So. Why? Um, the actual reach of the gear lever, and it's probably easier to show you, um, we're in neutral at the moment, um, but if I was just using the original gear lever here in neutral, if I was to go up into first gear, you can see how far forward I have to reach in order to get up. Um, and then the same hitting down into either second or fourth. Oh, okay. And, and in fact, you've got a gate there too, There's haven't you? a gate you? there as well, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, basically this second ball um, on the gear lever is just an extension handle. <laughs> so, it's much easier to be able to use that, so that when I'm going up into first or third, I don't have to reach right up underneath the dash. <laughs> and it came as an optional extra. Oh, really? Yep, yep, so it's... This really is the upmarket version. That's it, and you, then you've got your, your gate lever to be able to go across into your reverse gear. It's been in the family for how, how many years? Oh, look, oh, I can't remember the exact year that my dad bought this. Um, he, it would have been in the early 90s, so it's been in the family for 30 odd years. Um, my dad passed about seven and a half years ago. Um, so the three vehicles that he had uh, were basically passed down to my brother and myself. Um, and uh, it was just much easier from a registration perspective and insurance and all those sorts of things that um, I took possession of the two Austins that we had and my brother's got the 1911 Empire. That's a great memory of, for him, it's a, yeah. a legacy from him. No, that's it. Look, um, yeah, even yeah, my son's middle name is Austin, so um, you know, it was yeah, just a nice, easy way of being able to have that. And look, yeah, my my kids are uh, a 12. I've got two 12-year-olds and a 15-year-old, and, and 
my 15 year old is you know studying at the moment to get her learner's permit later on this year and she's like yeah dad you know when am i going to be able to drive the austins and um you know so there's still interest there which is great um how long that interest will stay there, I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, my son's here today with uh, with one of his mates from school, and um, it's just great to be able to get the kids out. And hopefully, when they're of an age where they're able to drive independently, um, they'll be able to to borrow these and take them out on runs. And yeah, it has always been said that you should teach your child to drive a manual for the simple reason of understanding the dynamics, the mechanics of a car. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I guess yeah. The, the, one of the challenges these days is if you don't have your driver's license test done on a manual vehicle, you can't drive a manual. Mm. Um, so very different to, to when we got our licences. But um, you know, I, I think it's probably a little bit ambitious to expect that they're going to do their um, driver's test in a hundred-year-old vehicle. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, look, I, I said I've I've been a member of the uh, the Veteran Car Club in New South Wales. And I can remember watching, um, you know, a lot of the kids grow up um, with their parents having, you know, brass era cars. And as soon as they got their L plates, the L plates went straight onto the vehicle and they would drive them to and from rallies. They'd drive them around rallies just on their learner's permit. Um, you know, so there's certainly enough interest out there to keep, you know, the, the passion for, for, you know, old motoring going. I saw a learner's car the other day that had the word manual written on across the back. To, yeah, so perhaps hill starts become still an issue yeah. now, long lost. Taking the cars around, the kids, mm -hmm. I took my son to his 16th year four, you know, senior year four, formal, yeah. formal. Yeah. Uh, a mate drove them there in an old cord, mm -hmm. right, and it was... He, you know, there were stretch limos and all that, but the cord had character. That's it. You yeah. weren't just buying character; you were. Yeah. No, I, I took my, uh, I took my eldest to her year six formal um, in this. That was a Mazda RX-7. <laughs> I think he's trying to impress us. <laughs> Um, yeah, so no, I, I took my daughter and uh, and her friends to the Year Six Formal a number of years ago in this, um, and uh, yeah, look, yeah, turning up in, in something like this, yeah, anyone can turn up in a limo. Um, anyone can turn up in a limo, but it, but uh, but yeah, turning up in something um, that's yeah this age and uh, look probably not as rare in the UK, but certainly in Australia, they're, they're, there's not a huge huge amount of them. Um, it's certainly something that turns heads. So. Motoring journalist David Berthon in the 80s travelled around England in a, I think it was a 2000 and, oh, sorry, a 1905 scat, mm -hmm. an early, very early scat, with his two children. And I'm determined to interview the children now. Does it? <laughs> It's funny, you know, like, yeah, all, all the tricks, um, you yeah, uh, my dad moved from Cronulla down to the Southern Highlands and, uh, you know, after he was diagnosed with cancer, um, yeah, we still went down and, and did some runs in his empire, um, trying to get the temperature gauge to actually warm up. Uh, we had, like, core flute for sale signs blocking the radiator and all sorts of things to try and stop the air mm -hmm. from flowing through and cooling the engine down. 
running hot wasn't the issue, it was getting it hot was the issue. <laughs> so Jaguar reversed that. So no, it was, a, it, look, they're temperamental. Um, this thing starts like a dream um, every time. Um, my Austin 20 is a little bit more temperamental. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the most common things that people say to me is, oh, yeah, it drips a little bit of oil. I keep on saying to the people, if I get to 100 and I leak this little, I'd be very happy. <laughs> um, you, you can you can always top up oil. You can always do all that sort of thing. But you know, look, when it comes down to it, you know, they're handmade vehicles. They're 100 years old. Um, they're still on the road. Um, if it drips a little oil here and there, that's the least you worries. And the camaraderie of the people that are involved. Mm is a great binding force. Oh, look, well and truly. Um, you know, I, uh, probably about 18 months ago, I was on Facebook and uh, a gentleman was making comments about um, having a, a 1926 Austin, uh, Austin 12. And uh, we just got to chatting backwards and forwards on Facebook and, you know, found out he was living in Sydney and that his vehicle was based out in country New South Wales. And it turns out he lived two streets away from me. Um, you know, and it's just, you'd have no idea that that existed. Um, and even earlier today when you came back to, uh, to catch up with me, I was having a chat with a gentleman and uh, caught up with him on Facebook last week. He's just restored uh, an Austin A40 Ute um, and he's in the process of getting it registered and putting it on club plates and all those sorts of things. So I met him up here for the first time and just have, had a good chat with him and yeah, it doesn't matter who you talk to, what type of car they've got, if you're interested in cars, um, people are always willing to, yeah, to give you a hand, give you advice and, and make sure your vehicle's on the road. It's not just cars too, it's culture, isn't it? it? Is. It's the life and times yeah. of a vehicle. Lovely to talk to you, thank you very much not for your problem. time. Not a problem. You're listening to Overdrive. Another vehicle at the show was a 1968 Holden Special that looked authentic in many ways, with one exception sticking through the bonnet was a huge air filter. The badges on the side suggested it still had a six-cylinder 186 motor. The air filter suggested quite the opposite. Tony was its owner. Describe to me what the car is. So HK Premier 1968, 186 originally, but now it's a 5.7 litre V8. I noticed you were false advertising with a 186 sign. The sleeper badges, that's right. <laughs> yeah. and, and you bought it or your family bought it when you were young? So my parents, um, they had a car accident in their HR Holden and then in 82, uh, one of the kids I went to school with said his dad was selling this for $1,500, so we, we bought it. And $500 were mine from my kitty account and 1000 from my parents' account. And you were 11? I was 11, 1982. And I've kept it since then. Because it was Holden or because it was a car? Because it was a car. That's hmm. pretty much it. Because the family was always into cars. Hmm. Yeah, my uncle was an upholsterer for Ford. He came here in the 50s. And my dad a mechanic. So family of um, car people. When you bought it, it had the 186 six-cylinder. Yeah. Who did all the work in, in, and was that recent or is that no, done? No, so all the work was done um, probably from 1993. That was the first time I restored it. And it was like me um, and essentially my uh, oldest brother, who was the panel beater spray painter. And then um, the second restoration was done in 2016 after my dad had passed away and I had time because mm. up until then there was uh, nursing homes and um, mm. and before the nursing homes it was marriage and kids and mortgages. Mm. So that's it. It's a nice legacy for him. It is, it is, that's mm. right.
right. And we still have another one, uh, which my middle brother has, which was a car I restored for my parents for their 50th wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it originally uh, was like a purple colour, but I did it metallic gold for their 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, same model, same... No, HT Holden. HT. Yeah. Okay. Fred races an HT Monaro. Yeah, oh. okay. Hmm. Well, the HT Kingswood, we still have that, and it's original matching motor, 186 power glide banjo diff um and it's a stock you know mm. apart from the color change mm. but you know because it was their 50th wedding anniversary gold is the is the color so we changed it huh. yeah okay. but yeah we we can always put it back to its color and put the vinyl roof back on mm. yeah i'm testing this week the kia electric vehicle over there really? it's a little bit different I work. I work for Transgrid. We uh, we have the Konas, the Tesla, and we're we're trialling at the moment the Ford Transit vans. Oh yeah. Yeah, and we have that LDV Ute yeah. at yeah. the moment. Yeah. 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 So. Well, uh, fleets have a much better handle on how their vehicles are being used and that. And so if you take on, you know, electric vehicles and such, that you can do it in a managed way. Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's right. Sorry, can I get your name? If uh, first Tony. Name? Tony. Tony. Yeah. All right, Tony. I appreciate Tony, it. my wife, Lena, my friends, John, Philomena, Julian. Okay. We're all a uh, family affair, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Darren and Tony, all the comments from our friends and listeners and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or our social media, look for Cars, Transport, Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>